Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Kins 5 podcast on the San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I am Jackson. I'm Cameron. And today, uh, this was an unplanned podcast, off the cuff a bit here, um, but we're in a little bit of an emergency mode, crisis mode. There's a ton of stuff happening, uh, including the end of an era here. Yeah, the, the big news uh, out of Spurs world, uh, Tony Parker announcing his retirement. And we, we sort of touched on this a few times in some other podcasts, but uh, now that the news is official, uh, very surprising. You know, this time last year, the, the talk was uh, how much more does he have left in the tank? He thought he had another two, maybe three years, signed the two year deal with Charlotte. Uh, that sort of ran its course kind of quickly uh, under Coach James Borrego, former Spurs assistant. And so, uh, yeah, officially the end of the Big Three era now, uh, Tim, Manu, and now Tony. And uh, we're just waiting for the details at this point of when the uh, when the jersey's going to go up in the AT&T Center. Yeah, it's far and away a given that it'll be up there with the rest of the Big Three, Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan. And that'll be a very fun ceremony. Those are always something fun to look forward to. Manu's this year uh, was full of tears and laughs. So, um, But going along with that end of the era, we're also seeing the winding down of the Popovich era. I mean, we saw the Big Three kind of end. A few coaching changes to, uh, to highlight here for the Spurs. Ime Udoka joins the Philadelphia 76ers. Brett Brown, another former Spur assistant. Uh, he'll be an assistant coach there. Um, and then we saw Tori Messina go back to the Euroleagues. A lot of transition. Yeah, it's uh, it's really paving the way for, for Becky Hammond. And uh, if she's not the, the next head coach of the Spurs, which is a possibility, uh, it's still too early to say one way or the other. The fact that she's going to basically be moving up the uh, the coaching depth chart, so to speak, is a good thing for the sport, and it's a great thing for her, and she deserves it. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, she could be the first woman, woman head coach. She is a great basketball mind and absolutely deserves uh, to be right up at the front of the bench. They haven't officially made her the top assistant for the Spurs yet. I'm sure that announcement will come closer to the season. She seems to be the most senior person left in the staff, uh, which means that if there is a, a moment here where Greg Popovich gets suspended during a, or gets ejected during a game, and that's going to happen because he, uh, <laughs> I don't think a season's gone by without an ejection. That means she steps into that head coaching role, and she will be the first woman head coach of an NBA program. Yeah, that's that's something to think about for sure. And you saw it a little bit with, um, with the way Luke Walton kind of used that uh, opportunity where Steve Kerr had a, a back problem and missed a big chunk of the season as sort of a springboard for his coaching career, which obviously now not in the greatest place uh, after, what, two years in L.A., but uh, it, it's the blueprint is there for someone to, to be an assistant coach for any length of time. And, you know, Coach Popovich, it you know, you hope that he's going to stay in good health, but that that could be a possibility. Also, he's been doing this for a really long time. It's going to have a very busy summer coaching Team USA, uh, and get getting through that 2020 Olympics. Uh, you could be talk- looking at the end of the era very, very soon. Basically, could be next year almost. I know we've uh, addressed it a few times here on the podcast, but yeah, this is a team that is winding down. They're expecting Popovich to last three years tops. Um, and that's a team that uh, needs to address some things as this era comes to an end. And one of the things that seems to be floating around that they may address is DeMar DeRozan. A lot of trade rumors kind of speculated involving him, including one, um, an ESPN reporter, Bobby Marks, uh, was throwing his name out there as a possible player the Spurs could move to make room for a free agent like Bojan Bogdanovic. Yeah, and there, there was some clarification recently. He was never actually saying that he heard that the Spurs wanted to trade him, and he. I don't think there was any word that teams really wanted to trade for him it was just simply well if the Spurs are linked to Bojan Bogdanovich and they want him in free agency and they want to keep Rudy Gay then somebody needs to go and the easiest way to clear the most space very quickly would be DeMar DeRozan it's a guy who doesn't have a long tenure with the Spurs could obviously still hold some value as a trade chip as last summer he was you know the main chip uh, in the Kawhi Leonard trade so it's interesting I was hesitant to to blow up a team that clearly had very good chemistry. Uh, guys liked playing with each other. It's not clear how much higher the ceiling is for this team because they've really only played the one year together with this group, and even then it wasn't the full group. Uh, so it's it's tough, but on the other hand, I don't think DeRozan and Aldridge is a good fit as your 1A, 1B. Uh, it's a good team. I just don't think it's it could be a championship team when those are your two best guys and there isn't another guy who's close to their level, which is the way this roster is constructed right now. For sure. And I mean, uh, you kind of mentioned this too. Last year was pretty much a rebuilding year. It was still a playoff year, a successful year uh, in some regards. But that was they were folding some new people into the roster, into the lineup here in the rotation. And they didn't even have DeJounte Murray. Um, It doesn't make sense to me to try to 
redo that again, especially as you know, Coach Pop is kind of reaching the end here. We're reaching the end of that. I don't think he wants to spend one of his remaining two or three years rebuilding again, refocusing a roster around different players. Um, so it, it would surprise me if DeRozan was moved. Um, again, if he is going to leave, and we've mentioned this too, he's not from San Antonio. So he didn't choose San Antonio. We traded for him. If he is going to leave, maybe you do want to get something in return, uh, something valuable for him. Yeah, it's he has a, an option. He could become a free agent next summer. Uh, it's kind of similar to the situation that a guy like Kevin Durant is in this year, where he could stay for that next year or uh, or opt out. And if he opts out, I mean that means it's a two year you know a two year rental for Demar Derozan versus for Toronto. What could have ended up being could end up being just a one year rental for Kawhi Leonard. Does that change the math? Probably not. Uh, Toronto, you know, just just finished up a, a championship parade, and uh, barring some some really big moves or some really big improvements from a lot of guys, the Spurs probably aren't uh, holding a ticker tape parade this time next year. I mean, I think if DeRozan is going to be moved, he's going to have to give some sort of signal to the organization he doesn't want to resign here. And that's going to be not this offseason. That's going to be closer to the trade deadline. And there could be a team making a run in the playoffs who needs to add that extra piece. Kind of how we saw Marcus Saul go to the Raptors, and he made a huge difference in their playoff run. Um, and that could be something we see happen there. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, this is uh, an unfolding story, an unfolding uh, kind of thing. I, again, doubtful. I think he moves. That's it's a great analogy too, because you're looking at guys who, uh, if it's a move at the trade deadline, you'd get him for the rest of that year plus the player option. On a pretty big contract, uh, Marcus Saul in his mid to late 30s, he has the player option for about 23, 24 million for that Raptors team. He's probably opting into that, and if the Raptors end up not getting Kawhi back, that team could be sort of dealing with paying a guy, even if it's just one year, a guy who's definitely not who he used to be, uh, a lot of money. DeRozan's not at the same point in his career, uh, but you are looking at a similar uh, salary cap hit, about $27, $28 million, so a significant number, but like you said, a team that might be going after a championship, might be looking to add a piece. Uh, might be willing to move some some things around to try to get a guy like DeRozan. I'd, I'd keep an eye on the Lakers in that situation. Now, the other name mentioned in that rumor is Indiana Pacers' Bojan Bogdanovich, who is a free agent this year. How do you think he'd fit on the Spurs? Is If they're looking at to bring him in, what's his role on that team? He'd be a great fit. Uh, sort of similar to uh, Marco Bellinelli, a guy who can make some really difficult shots, a great floor spacer, a guy who doesn't need to have the ball in his hands all the time, a knockdown three-point shooter, uh, a plus defensively compared to Marco. Uh, the issue with Bogdanovich, and a lot of uh, fans might not be f- as familiar with his name, you might think, oh, it's a, it's a younger guy coming in. He's the same age as DeRozan. He's about 30. Uh, spent the first really half of his pro career still over in Europe. Uh, now is sort of eligible for his first and probably only big major contract uh, as an NBA player. Uh, this past season, he was with Indiana for about $10 million a year. Probably going to be a little bit higher. Uh, so the Spurs, if you do open up the, that slot from DeRozan, if you move off of DeRozan, say keep Rudy Gay, uh, you would have still have about 10 to 12, maybe 14, 15 million to go out and get another free agent in that sort of second or third tier, depending on how you're thinking of uh, the marquee free agents this year. So Bogdanovich, I think if you're looking at bringing him in, uh, and you are think, thinking, okay, we're going to move on from DeRozan, get something back in return, it becomes uh, a blueprint where you have LaMarcus Aldridge as your superstar, and then a bunch of other really good complementary pieces. That's sort of a, a blueprint that uh, that Toronto used this year, where you wouldn't call Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, uh, even Pascal Siakam, uh, Danny Green, definitely not. But they're not superstars. They're really good players to, to great players. But then you have the the transcendent talent, uh, a top five guy in Kawhi Leonard. And that that's the formula that just won a championship. Yeah, I mean, it's a championship-winning formula that's worked for the Spurs in its times as well. Just surround your playmaker with a bunch of shooters. Um, and Bogdanovich has proven himself to be a great shooter. I think it makes more sense if you're going to move on from someone, and I've been on the record saying the Spurs should move on from Rudy Gay. He's the player in my mind that makes more sense to move on. He's a little older. He's older than DeRozan and Bogdanovich, so that makes more sense. He's also kind of a ball-dominant guy, but an important member of the bench. He was the Spurs' team of the year nominee, so he means a lot to these players. And we've seen some chemistry issues. You don't want to kind of mess with the chemistry of a team, especially the Spurs, who rely so much on chemistry and one of those great chemistry-building teams like that. And speaking of Spurs who can make a difference uh, next year, DeJounte Murray will be returning uh, to the team, uh, healthy from his torn ACL injury. But he's also making a difference in his brother's life. His brother graduated from high school this year, um, and he bought his brother a car. 
Yeah, a really heartfelt and really touching moment. We have the video up on kens5.com if you haven't seen it. Uh, it you know, it's been a little while, so if it, if it you know, sort of washed over you, you were offline the, when it happened, absolutely worth checking out. A beautiful moment. Uh, his brother had been uh, had been back home in Seattle, where uh, DeJounte and his family were from, had been sort of struggling a little bit, so uh, DeJounte invited his brother to move in, come to him, uh, come join him in San Antonio, and graduated uh, from uh, Brandeis High School here in San Antonio. Had the, the orange robe going and uh, the, that uh, beautiful purple uh, muscle car. I'm a little bit jealous, and we can't all have uh, <laughs> older brothers who are NBA players, but uh, a really cool moment. And, uh, you know, Jante Murray, we saw him as the youngest player in NBA history to be named to one of the all defense teams. Uh, he's an all NBA human being, too, on top of, uh, you know, being a, a very good defensive player. And we'll see how his game uh, adapts now after a year away. Uh, he is definitely an all-heart kind of guy, and that video making social media rounds is incredibly moving. I urge you guys to check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, you can't you can't not love DeJounte Murray after seeing that video. And we have it on Kings5.com. He's also very gracefully um, kind of made himself a social media adapter early. I guess he um, really embraces social media as a way to communicate with fans. And one of the things he's been doing during this finals run for the Raptors is uh, keeping up on social media, keeping up on Instagram, letting him know that his goal is to win a championship with the Spurs. Uh, and so it's nice to have those kind of championship guys who look forward, um, championship guys who have the heart, have the talent, and have the desire to be champions. So. Yeah, it's it's about forming a new identity for this Spurs team, really. I mean, as you sort of look beyond this, you know, whatever the two or three year window of the Popovich, possibly DeRozan, Aldridge is on a similar kind of contract. What's next for this team? And you you're looking at a core of guards who were drafted late in the first round: Dejounte Murray, Derek White. They have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, but are very talented or have been the kinds of guys who, over the course of uh, seasons and, and playoff runs, have gone from who is that guy to a guy that's been in uh, in the minds and uh, you know talked about a lot in the national media. You talked about guys with chips on their shoulders, and the Spurs have proven time and again when they get enough chips, they go all in. Uh, they make a championship run on these kind of players. Uh, a lot of these guys picked in the final, uh, kind of in the towards the end of the first round there, and that's where the Spurs seem to be picking again in this year's draft. Do you see any kind of blue chippers like that kind of making the news? Anyone the Spurs are linked to that could possibly be drafted in that 19 or 29 spot? Yeah, 19 and 29 is, in this draft, kind of a rough spot to be picking in. Uh, you, you have that, that guarantee of the first round where you, you guaranteed the roster spot for potentially two guys unless they're drafting and stashing a guy uh, or unless they're trading up. There's uh, some, some rumors and speculation about that. We won't find out until Thursday, obviously. Uh, what's what officially happens, but yeah, there are plenty of talented guys. Uh, really, once you get beyond the top three, four, or five, there's a whole glut of guys who could go really anywhere from seven, eight, nine to twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, and the Spurs will be in there, and we'll have a chance to have a guy who maybe in another year would be a lottery guy fall to them at 19 or possibly even all the way down to 29. The Spurs have really kind of made the difference in the organization by finding those guys who fall out of the lottery um, to find, to pick at 29, like DeJounte Murray, was projected a lottery pick. The Spurs didn't even get a chance to work out DeJounte Murray because they were expecting him to go in the top 15. Comes to him at 29, they grab that opportunity to grab to take someone a little rawer, but has that talent to be an all-defensive player, an all-NBA player, maybe, maybe an all-star in the future. Um and maybe some of those guys fall to them again. It sounds like this time around, there's a little bit of rumor swirling, um, making the rounds on social media, that they're not going to wait for those guys to fall to them in the lottery. They may package those players, move up into the lottery. And we've kind of seen the, I guess, the connection there is that they're working out or trying to work out these lottery picks. Yeah, uh, the the buzz is that uh, Siku Domboya, uh, who is pretty much universally projected to be a lottery pick, a guy who's uh, overseas, uh, so you're not familiar with his name necessarily if you're a big college basketball fan. And uh, there are also rumors of uh, trying to get Cam Reddish in, uh, and he's definitely a guy who's been uh, floated as a top 10 pick. Uh, The the question really becomes, how far up can you move from, uh, if you're just trading the picks, 19 and 29, at what spot does a team say, that's good enough for us, we'll trade you is it the 10th pick, the 11th pick, or does it really only move you up three or four spots? Uh, that, that becomes the question. And then if you want to move up further, do you need to throw in another player, a young asset? Uh, and then if that's if the answer to that is yes, then the next question is, well, who is it? Uh, and how far could you go with if you're willing to throw in one of these young guards? We've, we've talked before on this pod, Jackson. The Spurs kind of almost have too many guys who are point guards uh you know patty mills is going to be under contract Dejounte is definitely part of the future Derek white just had a breakout playoffs 
and you still have Bryn Forbes. Marco Bellinelli is another guard who's at least under contract for this year. Lonnie Walker is going to get minutes as a two guard, if you know, if not a wing. You know, that's a lot of guys, and there's only one basketball, and there's only so many minutes to play at those one and two spots. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see uh, or hear what you think. Who would you who would you give up on in, in a potential trade? If you really if you needed to give up a guy to go from say getting the 14th pick to maybe the 10th or 9th pick, who's that guy? Before we get to that, I, I will. I've got a guy in mind for that. Um, but real quickly, one of the ways that this offense thrived the most is with DeJean, oh, with uh, Demar Derozan holding the ball. He set career highs and assists and pass rates and, and usage rates. And so you're adding more guys who are taking the ball out of his hands too. I, I mean, I was a Derek White believer, and Cameron in our first podcast, you convinced me that he might be the guy to move. He's a little older. This might be all we've seen of Derek White. I love him in the Manu Ginobili role as a six-man coming off the bench. Um, but I, I, I love DeJounte Murray's defense. I love what DeJounte's done. He's, he's younger. He's a little rawer, but he's got time to prove himself. And he's got that championship attitude we talked about there. Um, I, I, I need to see more from Lonnie Walker. But again, he's one of those athletic wings that is raw but has the potential to be really good. And the only reason he followed the Spurs is because of injury history. Um, so it would be great to see him in that, that role. It's Bryn Forbes, I think, is the guy who's going to be left out of the rotation. Um, but you don't get the value there that you get from Derek White. I think you get more value to move into that top ten. And there's some teams with the eighth pick, with the tenth pick. We, we've mentioned, seen the Hawk mentioned in a lot of uh, the Hawks mentioned in a lot of trade offers, uh, a lot of trade rumors with the eighth and the tenth pick. I don't think they're trying to move down. They might be trying to move up. But I mean, if you're going to move up into the lottery, sometimes you have to give up a guy who bolstered your team in the playoffs. Was the, probably the the biggest highlight for the team in the playoffs in Derek White. Yeah, I mean, I think that the point I made before was that Derek White, you'd be trading high. You'd be selling high on him if uh, if you were to uh, to trade him away as part of a package somewhere else. He just had a, a great playoff run as a guy who came from basically nowhere. Uh, was the, a very late first-round pick a couple years ago, spent most of his first season in the uh, D-League, now the G-League. And uh, the the thing that comes to people's minds when you're talking about Derek White now is he's an, you know he's an explosive scorer, a guy who uh, just had a, like you said a great playoff run, uh, but that's tough. And I think the the question the Spurs might be asking themselves is if the choices on the table are you can either choose at 12 and give up 19, 29, and one of those young guards to get 12, just hypothetically. Or you wait until 19, see who falls to you, because there's still going to be a good player who falls to you. And how strongly do you feel about one guy over the other? Are you, uh, you know, talking about a guy like uh, Goga Badatse, Bol Bol, some of these other uh, big men? I think the Spurs need to draft for some length. Uh, Samanich, another guy. Are you willing to just kind of let everything filter out and just take who's left, or do you need to go get the guy that you want? Yeah. Um, something that's interesting a lot of the players that we want the Spurs to take to focus on are big men. When we talk about the rumors and the names connected to the Spurs, they're all guards. Cam Reddish, Bojan Bogdanovic, these are all guards where the Spurs have a plethora of options, have a strength of options there. Maybe that's just pointing towards the Spurs transitioning to how the league is playing now with the three ball, playing small. But that doesn't seem to be the way that this team is constructed now, and it doesn't seem to be a win-now attitude. You know, you need to bring a bigger guy in to play alongside uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. So players like Bull Bull might be someone the Spurs move up to. I'd like to see them move up to grab a big man like that. Samimich is someone they've had their eye on for a long time as a player to bring over. He might also be a stash kind of guy in Europe, too. So it's very interesting to see the names connected to the Spurs right now. Yeah, we'll talk a lot more about this uh, in our NBA Draft live podcast. On Thursday night, we'll have coverage on uh, our YouTube page and our Facebook page, and then we'll flip it onto uh, into a podcast as as the, everything uh, unfolds. But we'll be kind of giving you that live reaction. So uh, as you're listening to this, make plans on Thursday night. Listening to this, you're probably a big NBA fan. You're planning on watching the draft. Have us up on your phone. Have us up on your uh, second screen or whatever, because we're going to be with you all night there, uh, bringing you uh, reactions, analysis, and uh, coverage from a Spurs point of view. Uh, for the NBA draft, as as we'll you know we'll break down a lot of there. There's some really interesting center prospects. We could I mean I could I could go for a few more minutes talking about oh you know what are the pluses and minuses of grabbing Bruno Fernando for this team. I think for right now it's enough to say that the Spurs have a lot of options. And I don't think they need to rush into anything right this moment. Yeah, exactly. And there's also so much more to talk about. The <laughs> reason we're having true, this yeah. emergency podcast, there's a hundred storylines to talk about right now. It's crazy to think the draft is this week. It's in three days. The finals ended a week before the draft. Yeah. Toronto taking game six against the Golden State Warriors last Thursday. Uh, 104 to 100. 
I think if you guys have been following the podcast, you know Cameron and I did not pick the Raptors to win. Yeah. Uh, and they did. I think they were underdogs across the board. Most people were picking the Warriors. What went right for the Raptors in this series? Uh, it certainly helps that Kevin Durant played a total of like 12 or 14 minutes uh, in the in the entire finals. Uh, it, that that didn't hurt their cause at all. Uh, the Raptors were pretty lucky with injuries uh, throughout the season. OG Ananobi was the one sort of rotation guy they didn't have throughout their playoff run. It hurt them at times, but uh, they they had the best player on the floor for most of the time. They had a great strategy for uh, facing the Warriors, and I think that comes from having watched a lot of the Warriors having played because it was a very similar team to what had been the core for two or three years, whereas the Raptors, other teams didn't have as much film on them. And Nick Nurse, you have to give credit to the head coach. I think he outcoached Steve Kerr. I think so. There are a lot of magnificent moves that Nurse made throughout the whole final, throughout the whole playoffs, but specifically in the finals, that changed the dynamics of this finals. One of the things he did was he shortened his bench. Toronto was touted as an incredibly deep team. You didn't see guys like Jeremy Lin making it into the game, uh, into the finals. OG and Anubi coming back from the injury didn't make it back into the rotation. He got it down to seven at max. Um, and then also just, like you said, there's a lot of tape on these Warriors, and he switched to defenses they hadn't seen um, and kind of had been able to see, uh, had figured out the defenses that would work against them by watching the tape. They played box and one. They switched to several zones, especially when it was Curry out there by himself. They focused that defensive pressure on Curry. They hounded Curry. They got physical with Curry, and he was exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, really the the pivot point in that series was game three. Um, You were looking at a team where Golden State had just, they just stole one on the road in game two to even it up at 1-1. And Klay Thompson missed game three, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have no KD, even though you're thinking, okay, KD's coming back soon. No Klay. Warriors are back home. And the question was really, how hard do they go after this? And basically, they ran Steph Curry. They rode him and rode him. He had, what, 50 points in that game, something like that. But he was exhausted in Game 4 and then into Game 5 and, and, and forward into Game 6. The, the, you know, the hot take, the, uh, you know, the zig when everyone else is zagging kind of thing is, should a team almost you know, punt on an NBA Finals game? Uh, it's easy to say in retrospect that the Warriors going out to try to win Game 3 could have cost them the whole series. Do you sort of just load manage a player in the middle of a finals? I mean, some of the talking heads the next day, their heads would have exploded if the Warriors were in a situation, okay, so Curry gets hot, but you're going to take him out because he's on a minutes restriction. They're only going to cap him at 30 minutes and you know however many shots in a game. Even if the shots are going in and looks like they might have a chance and you sort of you know pull back and let the Raptors take Game 3, it might have set the Warriors up better for games four, five, and six, and so on. If you almost say, "Yeah, we're too we're too banged up. We can't even really compete. We're not going to really even try in this game." That's crazy to talk about, but it might have been the right move. I don't think we've seen a, a team punt an entire game like that uh, in the 2013 Finals, for instance, when the Spurs are playing the Heat. Uh, when the Spurs are playing the Heat, you saw teams try in the game. Once the game got to about 15 points or 20 points, teams would pull back in that second half. You wouldn't see Pop playing his starters 41 minutes in a finals game or Spolstra playing LeBron and Bosch and Wade 40 minutes. You see them sort of pull back as teams pull ahead. But for a whole game, that's kind of ludicrous to think about. Uh, and there was, was kind of thoughts that they were holding Clay out because you know perhaps they didn't want to rush him back. If they were really in desperation mode, they might have played Clay in game three. Um, so there was a little bit of that kind of thought process probably going into it. They probably thought Curry could um, could kind of will them to they, – they, they could get enough from Curry returning home for Game 3 to kind of will them to a victory. And they still have some role players like Iguodala, Cousins, like Draymond Green, who can make a difference. Quinn Cook hit some shots for them too throughout the whole final. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I, I honestly think if they'd punted Game 5 too without bringing Durant back, they'd be better set off for uh, for next year. Durant might be returning healthy. Klay Thompson for sure wouldn't have injured his ACL if the Raptors had won in 5. But again, they're trying to win a finals. They're doing what they can to win a finals. Yeah, you talk about rushing to bring a guy back, and then you know Kevin Durant went from yeah not going to go in Game Four. Suddenly it's down three one. Forty eight hours pass, and he's oh he's ready to go. You know we can we can play him, and not just play him, but play him almost all the minutes uh, up through really the midway point of the second quarter, roughly when he was hurt. So that's a uh, a big uh, a big talking point. Something that could be a career uh, will definitely be a career altering. Uh, 
moment and decision for Kevin Durant. But it, all the talk about the Warriors, I think, really takes away, again, from not just what the Raptors coach, we talked about the coaching changes, but some of the role players that the Raptors had and, and the way this, the ways they stepped up. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, uh, in particular, mostly more so in the uh, the conference finals, but he was spectacular in a handful of different games. Uh, Pascal Siakam really stepped up and uh, was maybe the best player on the floor in Game 1, and uh, Gasol, Lowry, they all had their moments, too. Yeah, Game 1 was definitely the Siakam game. I, honestly, I I would have probably voted, I, they did ranked voting in the NBA Finals for MVP. Van Fleet's probably my second pick. He hit some huge shots for them throughout the game. All these role players had moments. Danny Green, unfortunately, had a, had a bad moment that uh, could have gone bad, but it was fine. And, you know, People are talking about that turnover he had in Game 6 as it could have been a cha- game-changing thing. What do you do? You, you got to pass the ball in that situation, I think. I mean, you're, you're in the moment. You're, you're kind of doing that. And you, you see an open Siakam kind of cutting across there. But Siakam had the moments. Ibaka hit some shots. Marcus Saul was great from three. Kyle Lowry, not enough has been said about Kyle Lowry throughout this whole thing. He kind of has a, a weight on his shoulders about being a guy who hasn't stepped up in big games. Game six, the championship is on the line. He hits the first 11 points for that team and kind of set the momentum for them. And I think once he, honestly, I was watching that game and once he hit those first 11 points, I was like, that. That's it, I think. And what a, and what a bounce back too. I mean, he had the potential series winning, championship winning, buzzer beating shot in Game Five. Uh, Draymond Green with an amazing defensive play to get a hand on it. Uh, but the first analysis didn't really. It didn't look like he got a piece of it. And everyone's like, "Oh my goodness, Kyle Lowry couldn't even hit the side of the backboard on the on the championship." But no, it, it was blocked. So to to overcome that and that the. You know, again, in the moment, you're not thinking, "I'm about to take the NBA Finals winning shot." Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, you're just playing ball. But uh, to turn around after that happened and come back out and and start Game Six and really set the tone, like you said, yeah, that's that is a championship. That is that is a veteran guy. Uh, obviously, Lowry has been through some playoff moments that haven't really gone the Raptors' way over the course of years, and really did a lot to shake that reputation of, uh, you know, maybe good to great regular season guy who can't get it done in the playoffs. That's not there anymore. He's a, he's an NBA champion. He's got a ring on his finger now. Yeah, and I mean, what an amazing block by Draymond too. That was a guy going all out on that and just fingertips on that ball there. And I think enough, not enough, can be said about the quality of basketball we saw. I think you might be expecting oh, Durant missed time, Thompson missed time, Curry was cold for big stretches throughout the whole finals, but the level of basketball was still amazing. Uh, not only did you have Kawhi Leonard reaching levels that Michael Jordan and LeBron and Kareem have reached before, I think. Um, But you had these role players stepping up. You had great moments from Kareem. Draymond played amazing. You had a DeMarcus Cousins game that no one saw coming in Game 2. Just so many great storylines, but also just great play across the board. Yeah, it's just big-time players making big-time plays, and not a lot of bench depth from either team. It was really seven or eight guys for both teams. Uh, you know, saw some some bits and pieces of maybe like some Andrew Bogut, but he couldn't stay on the floor. Kevon Looney, what a warrior! Uh, really, in the true sense of the of the word, battling uh, a severe pain to to be out there when his team really needed him because they were shorthanded. Uh, yeah, just bottle that up because. When when we're next watching NBA basketball, I mean, there's summer league and then there's preseason. That quality of basketball is going to be really hard to find uh, for a really long time. Definitely. I mean, and just you could feel that they were playing um, not only just for a finals, but this was a moment that is, I guess, era defining. Um, you see the, the Warriors in four straight finals going for their third straight ring. The Raptors never played in the finals before going for that the country's first championship in any sport in 25 years um just a lot of players playing it out and i mean i think this is kind of kind of going to be an era defining game not just for who won and lost but these teams might look completely different next year yeah i mean we mentioned there are a few guys who we know will be back curry will be back marcus all presumably will opt in uh, i think kyle lowry's still under contract um, Siakam is going to be back. Oh yeah, and, he's he's going to be a big part of that team. But uh, you look at the Warriors' core. Uh, Kevin Durant has a player option. By all accounts, he's going to opt out of that and try to go pick up a payday, even though uh, he's not going to be playing next year. Uh, by all accounts, yeah, I think even with that injury, he gets a max deal from somebody. Out yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to be willing to say, "We'll take three years of post-injury Kevin Durant, and he can rehab on our dime in uh, the, the next up uh, the 2019-2020 season." Kawhi Leonard, though, is, is the, the big domino. The finals MVP just got handed the key to the city in the uh, championship parade in Toronto. I don't know how you leave after you lead a team to the championship. You, He's adored in Toronto. I, you know, uh, 
things could happen in the next couple of years, and maybe you know that relationship could turn sour. But right now, it, that's his city. It's his. It's his franchise. It's his city. To leave would be absolutely unprecedented. I know there's, you know, he, he's his family wants him maybe to move back to LA. He's he's sort of been linked to the Clippers nebulously. A player that just won the NBA championship and the Finals MVP to leave is unheard of. Yeah, I think Fred VanVleet said it best when he said Toronto did everything they could to convince Kawhi to stay. I think they could. There's nothing more the Raptors could have offered him. Toronto, the city could have offered him. He could eat anywhere for free right now. He's got. Condo is being offered to him for free as well. Uh, honestly, if he wants to leave, it's because he just wants to leave. He wants to do something different. He wants to go home. And I, I mean, I think he looks back at that playoff run and he says, there were games where I did all of this by myself and I can do it all by myself for someone else too. Uh, build my own kind of team. I mean, he was the guy for this franchise and he could still be the guy for the franchise if he wanted to. He could be the guy for any other franchise. Yeah, the question sort of becomes is how does this compare to other situations with guys who are going to be uh, free agents or, or have been sort of uh, demanding trades or in that sort of similar situation over the last year, two years, etc. Uh, the, the comparison is, is Kevin Durant, another guy who's hitting free agency presumably this summer, uh, and that is really what is next for his legacy? What's, what does he have left to prove? Kevin Durant has sort of, he's won the rings, he's won the finals MVPs, uh, but it hasn't been his team. And I think that's been one of the talking points is that he kind of wants to go somewhere where he is the guy and they build around him. It's In Golden State, it was always going to be Curry's team. He was he was the favorite son there for the fans and for the way their system was built. Uh, so that make, it makes some sense for Kevin Durant to want to go somewhere else. For Kawhi Leonard, he's talked about wanting to win championships. That's he's notoriously doesn't talk much to the media. But the one thing he has said is, I want to go somewhere I can win championships. Toronto's built to compete for championships for at least another year or two. Uh, you know, you could look at, a, at an option where he takes the the one plus one, uh, the, that sort of deal that LeBron did for so long, where you sign a one year deal and then you get the player option for the next year. Basically, you're just doing it year to year. The issue with Kawhi is that injury history, where you can't necessarily say, if I, you know, I. If you're Kawhi, you can't look at it and say, I will be healthy a year from now. LeBron, it was basically a guarantee. He was indestructible for about a decade, uh, so it didn't really matter as much. He could continue to uh, hit free agency and and, um, re-examine it year after year. Kawhi doesn't really have that luxury. His stock is at its absolute peak right now. He can't possibly be more valuable. Go get the max, whoever's going to offer it to you, and whatever the best situation for you is, that's where he is. Yeah, in a vacuum, I think the one and one makes the most sense. You say, hey, I run this back, let's see what we can do again. Um, those players are only getting older, like Abaka's aged out there, Gasol's getting older, Lowry's getting older, but this is the window they have. Um, but yeah, he does have that injury history. He played through injuries throughout this playoffs, too. Uh, he was kept it no secret that he was hurt and playing, um, mainly probably because the storyline here, uh, when he was in San Antonio, was he wasn't playing with injuries. So that kind of changes the story on that a bit. But I see him going out and trying to get a four-year deal somewhere. Maybe it's with the Raptors. He thinks, I can keep this going for four years. Uh, the Clippers seem to make the most sense. That's where the talk has been throughout the whole season, I think, was going back to the L.A. Um, but that remains to be seen. I think, to, to, to borrow a phrase from Kevin Durant, I think he also looks and says, what's the hardest road? You know, what's, He looks to the east and says, I've got Giannis to go through. The Celtics are going to be worse. Um, Sixers, who knows what's happening there? They've got a lot of roster changes um, that could be taken in effect. Who's the other team in the East that's going to stand in Toronto's way? That could be an easy run back to a conference final at the very least. And out in the West, things are getting a little crazy. <laughs> um, and that's going to be a, a hard road as you see teams like the Los Angeles Lakers make a um, blockbuster deal to bring Anthony Davis in, getting rid of Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart. Brandon Ingram and a bevy of picks, including this year's number four pick. Yeah, what a what a deal, really. What a, a blockbuster! And you know, you almost feel bad for Raptors fans. They didn't get to have their moment. I mean, this news came out before they even got to have their parade. I know there and is no off season. There is absolutely no off season. I think it's a, a pretty fair value. Anthony Davis has the potential to be a, a transcendent talent. Has the potential to be a franchise altering guy, uh, the best player on a really good team if it's constructed properly around him for a very long time. There are some questions about it, though. Where you know what else do the Lakers do from here? They have almost nothing left on their roster. It's basically AD, LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, and like two backups. Hey, Isaac Bonga. <laughs> Isaac Bonga is your backup point guard. Mo Wagner is your backup center. And that's it. That's all they. Have. I mean, granted, they have they have cap space. They 
could potentially, depending on how some things work out, get another uh, close to a max guy. How else do you build out that roster, and how is this really that much different than what Anthony Davis had in in New Orleans, other than this guy named LeBron James? But now, where is LeBron in his career? Yeah, to put it bluntly, he's got an old LeBron James. He's got a LeBron James coming off the worst injury of LeBron's career. Um, and I hear a lot of people saying the Lakers have cap space. Once Davis accepts... Uh, I guess he's going to get a $4 million trade bonus. That puts the Lakers cap space at $23 million. You're looking at maybe Jimmy Butler takes that. I don't think a guy like Kimba Walker is going to turn down max money to go to the Lakers for $23 million. And if they use all of that to bring in a marquee guy, there's still a lot of holes in that team. Yeah, I, I think really the move for the Lakers is probably to go after some of those mid-tier free agents, a guy like Bogdanovich, you know, guys in the 10 to $12 million a year range, rather than trying to get one guy at 24, you can get two guys at 12 to really help fill out the roster a little bit. Guys who are not going to be all-stars, but who are still going to be very good players and contribute to that team. And uh, the allure of playing with LeBron and AD and the Lakers right now currently uh, title favorites that you can you could probably convince some guys to take a little bit less than they probably would have somewhere else because uh, the allure of, of a championship ring is is really uh, really appealing to a lot of guys. I think you go out and find the best defensive free agents at each position. You think Davis and LeBron, that's plenty of offense. I want Patrick Beverly at the point guard. I want Danny Green at shooting guard. These guys who you can get for better deals than you can someone like Kimba Walker and who are going to Hit Danny Green can hit the shots if he needs to hit the shots. He's also shot tremendously well in LA in his uh, career. Um, but yeah, I want to find those guys. See, I almost uh, go the opposite way. I want to find shooting. I want JJ Redick out there with LeBron. I want uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron to be able to have as much spacing to play a two man game. And you say, if you sag off of any of those guys, those shooters are going to kill you. And if you guard them tight, well, great. Now you have you have to guard LeBron and AD running a pick and roll, running two man action with two guys. Good luck. Uh, I I think that's maybe the way the Lakers want to go. I mean, that, that's and again, this is where the NBA is going. You want three and D guys. Uh, you know, you talk about a guy like Patrick Beverly. What's his shortcoming? Probably shooting. Uh, JJ Redick, obviously not as strong on the defensive end. The middle ground there is a guy like Danny Green, and that's why those guys get paid this summer. Plus, Danny Green is friends with LeBron James. Started his career in Cleveland playing alongside LeBron, so there is that connection as well. Um, Yeah, and on the flip side, I think this trade went tremendously for the Pelicans. I don't think they were getting a better package from anyone, and that's a team that is poised to build a championship-caliber team in the next five years. Yeah, look at who they have right now. This is a pretty quick rebuild where you can go Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram if he's healthy, uh, and you know you wish the best for him, uh, Zion Williamson with that number one pick, and then whatever you decide to do with the number four pick. Uh, they have a handful of other guys who I think are still under contract, and the talk has been maybe the Pelicans might move that fourth pick so that you're not looking at having two first-year players uh, really allow Zion to be that one young guy and see if you can get a guy back with that number four pick. Um, it could be another young guy you know, who's on a similar timeline but has been through a little bit more. Um, the problem, again, with this year's draft is it's a pretty top-heavy draft. At number four, who are you getting and what is the value of that? It's, it's going to be a player at that point since I think there's a lot of speculation that uh, that one, two, and three basically already is. Zion's going to be one. John Morant, I'd say 90% is the number two pick, and then uh, a guy like uh, R.J. Barrett is probably three. Yeah, I mean, this has been touted as a three-person draft, maybe four-person draft, if you're hiring a guy like Darius Garland. And that could be someone they go after as like a Lou Williams-esque, Lou Williams-esque sixth man off the bench. Um, I, I could see them moving if their their goal is the long-term uh, to find more picks in this draft, because once you get past that eight spot, as we've talked about, there's a lot of players who will contribute on NBA teams. What I think gives them the most flexibility is a player like Zion Williamson who can play a bunch of different positions. If you want to go out and get a big center to play alongside him, you can do that. If you want to slot him into your center spot, you can find another guy like Jimmy Butler or some some free agent out there who wants to play along that, who doesn't mind a little bit of a rebuilding time in this uh, and make a playoff run. Yeah, it, it helps if you can get a, a you know, Without putting too much pressure on him, a once in a generation talent. It's it, it's helpful in building your team. Just ask the Spurs. They did it with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and have a uh, you know what five championships uh, to show for it. And the the Cavs had LeBron James, and the Lakers had Kobe Bryant. They're, they're, these guys don't come around very often. Zion Williamson is uh, in that in that competition. Is guys who are uh, coming out with that much hype and that much 
uh, expectation and also potential. I mean, it's not hype without a reason. So, I mean, what kind of blows my mind about this trade aren't the players involved, but the picks involved. You're talking about the number four this year and then three other first round draft picks, including pick swaps in 2023 and 2025, way pay on, way beyond LeBron's time in the NBA and past Anthony Davis's prime when the Lakers could be pretty terrible. Yeah, Anthony Davis at that point would be approaching his late 30s. Uh, he's still pretty young. He's 26. Uh, but, yeah, so he, I guess he'd still be in his mid-30s. But a guy like that who's had injury concerns over the course of his career, hasn't ever played 82 games in a season. LeBron at that point, yeah, I think he's out the door. Uh, if, if not just barely hanging on and kind of ceremonially out, you know, coming out for a few games. That's a very different team. A lot of things could happen. At that point, you could be looking at AD as the, in the role similar to LeBron where he's trying to recruit guys to come play with him. Uh, and the Lakers could still be very good. But you have to also remember, they've been bad now for a while. And players, there is a certain amount of Lakers mystique, Lakers aura. But there's also this, you know, especially for the guys who will, who will be populating the NBA in three or four years, they will have grown up watching the Lakers beat. They've missed the playoffs six straight years now. Uh, so, yeah, that and the Pelicans at that point could be really, really good. Uh, you're looking, you know, six years down the line. Zion Williamson is still going to be under team control. And remember, it's a four year rookie scale. So at that point, he's only two years into his second deal, presuming he's still going to be in New Orleans. And, that there's you know that's there's still the Pelicans. There's all kinds of other questions about that, but they, they, he'll still be with that team. They, if he ends up being as good as they think he can be, the Pelicans will have big time assets. And the other thing you have to remember about NBA drafts and trading future picks, there's been this talk now about uh, removing the one and done rule, and teams are already thinking about when is that going to be and can we stockpile picks and what's what they're calling the super draft. Because what you're getting in that year, the guys who are in high school will become eligible, plus all of the guys who are in college. So basically, that draft, that one draft is going to have two years worth of top-end talent. And it'll be filled out, of course, by, by plenty of other guys. But to have as many picks as possible, especially a mid-lottery pick that year, is like the same as a top-five pick most other years. So if you can start getting better chances to get better picks in that draft, whatever it ends up being, 2021, 2022. It's looking like now it's not going to be 21. So 22, 23, 24, 25, you start trying to guess and getting picks in those drafts and the Pelicans line themselves up nicely. Exactly. I mean, you're talking about, you mentioned this too, like Zion's in his prime. These are going to be big time assets. For the Lakers, this is a short term swing for the fences kind of move. And it instantly vaulted them into playoff, into finals favorites um, as from the Western Conference. So Cameron, this is the million dollar question then. Who won the trade? The winner of the trade in my book right now is the Pelicans. Uh, you, we talked about the the number of picks they got, the quality that those picks could end up being all the way up to 2025. 20, you get some young guys. There's some questions about Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram's health. They still have a lot of potential. We sort of know who Anthony Davis is at this point. We definitely know who LeBron James is. The questions are, who are those guys going to be, and can they stay on the floor? We don't even know they're going to necessarily play that well together. And, uh, you know, you're a turned ankle away from uh, some serious problems, especially as you talk about there's a lot of pressure for them to go get a third guy and, and make a new big three in L.A. You surround that. There's nothing left there cap space-wise to fill out the rest of that roster. Now, if they go out and get a really great player, if somehow they can convince Kawhi Leonard to come to L.A., you, know, you could probably just hand them the championship. But I don't think that's going to happen. So with the Lakers, the big question is... How much more of LeBron's prime are you getting? Who is he going to be after missing so much of this past year? Who's he going to be this year? And who's he going to be next year? Uh, really, as he finishes out the very tail end of his prime and AD is really at what we're assuming is the peak of his powers. If LeBron is the LeBron James we know and we expected to see the last couple of years, the Lakers, I don't think you could convincingly say the Pelicans won the trade. If LeBron isn't the same guy anymore, then yeah, I think the Pelicans are the winner in this trade. Yeah, it's a very big question, and there's a lot of questions in this. Like you mentioned, Lonzo's health, Brandon Ingram's health. If they're even, I mean, both of those guys were top three picks, you know? Uh, they can still be top three talent. We just haven't seen that, and then it might just be the team they've been on with the Lakers. But we've seen 
only a handful of trades where a top five guy gets moved. And unfortunately, the team who gets the top five guy wins all of those trades. Uh, this is a league that, you know, you value yourself based on championships. And I think right now the Lakers are closer to a championship than the Pelicans are. That can change. The biggest X factor here is the Pelicans before this trade had the rights to Zion Williamson or had the rights to draft Zion Williamson. So that's a gigantic factor in all of this. Um, and who knows what's going to happen with LeBron's health. Um, but they're the favorites in the West, honestly, right now, especially after Golden State's health concerns. Uh, teams like the Nuggets and the Trailblazers are still a couple moves away. Who knows what's going to happen with the Rockets this year? They always find some sort of wrench to turn in the offseason to kind of rev up for, for another run. And they might do that again, but it's the Lakers again. Before Davis got injured this year and before all the trade stuff happening, uh, all the trade talks talk started happening at the beginning of 2019, he was lauded as a top three guy. It was before Kawhi made his big playoff push. It was LeBron. It was Curry and Durant. And then Davis kind of forcing him way into that conversation. So you've got a team with two top three guys. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Uh, the counterpoint to me is these. I think when LeBron first went to LA, there was plenty of hype that the Lakers. I mean, I don't know if they were considered title favorites this time last year or whenever LeBron uh, decided he was going to be in LA. But very few people thought they were going to miss the playoffs. There was oh, they have LeBron. They're guaranteed to make the playoffs. And you look at how they constructed the rest of that roster. We mentioned it earlier on this pod. There are so many holes on that roster right now. There are ways they could do it right. There are ways they could do it very wrong. Uh, we saw this past year. When you do it wrong, even if you have LeBron James, even when he was healthy, that wasn't a good team. No. Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee, Tyson Chandler, that, that was not a team that was built around LeBron James properly. Anthony Davis has now had, there's been years with the Pelicans where you thought, okay, Drew Holiday, Eric Gordon, although they had some injury problems, uh, that team never really became what it could have been. You thought that was going to be a better team than it was. That's not a great track record with two guys now who recently you've built teams around, you put them together on the same team, and suddenly it's it's going to work this time. We promised. Guys, we promised. This, this is the, we were wrong before. This is, I don't know. I think both teams have supreme confidence that they won the trade both got both <laughs> got exactly what they wanted from a trade like this the the lakers have added a marquee player alongside lebron and new orleans has set themselves up i think better than they had expected going to the trade for the future that leaves spurs fans asking why didn't they get this kind of offer for Kawhi leonard you know similar kind of circumstances players at the end of their contract saying they didn't want to play for that team, kind of made arguments about, or kind of forced their way to teams saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to play for the Lakers. I'll re-sign for the Lakers. I'll re-sign for this team. I'm not going to re-sign on this team. Both kind of coming off some injury questions there, but why couldn't the, the, the Spurs got DeMar DeRozan, they got Jakob Pearl, and they got a first-round draft pick. But was that enough? Here's the thing. Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard are when you're talking about the, these trades, they were different assets. Kawhi Leonard was coming off a season where he had played only nine games, and the word degenerative had been used about his condition with his leg. Anthony Davis has had small injury concerns, but has been playing consistently 50, 60 games a year, sat out quite a bunch this year. Uh, he's younger now than Kawhi, uh, although it's not by much. Uh, similar service time, but um, similar contract situations as well. Uh, realistically, though, the the biggest difference is where San Antonio was in their competition cycle versus where New Orleans is right now. The Spurs could have gone out and asked for a package built around young guys. They might not have gotten it, but they could have gone and asked for that and started a rebuild, and this past year would have been kind of tough for Spurs fans. You know, Was uh, something like a, a Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram offer possible for Kawhi Leonard last summer? Maybe. But the Spurs would not have been as successful as they were in 2018-2019 with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram as they were with DeMar DeRozan. It's just a fact. So the where the Spurs are with having LaMarcus Aldridge, having Coach Pop, having some of these other guys who've been through a little bit, uh, the Patty Mills, uh, the Marco Bellinelli as they added in the offseason, the Pelicans aren't there. They're not trying to even make the playoffs ne next year necessarily. If they do, it's great. If the Spurs had missed the playoffs this past year, 
it would have been seen as even more of a failure in the trade, regardless of who they got, if if they were young assets. Definitely, I mean, I think it definitely kept the Spurs in that win now mode. And honestly, I don't think this Anthony Davis package is as gigantic as is as plentiful if Kawhi didn't have the run he had in the finals. I think seeing a guy who's in that situation, forcing his trade there, coming off these health injuries, uh, health concerns, seeing him make a finals run and winning a finals for that team, I think cements like, we can do that and it'll all be worth it. Jackson, I have one thing before we wrap up that's driving me batty I want to talk about, and it's about these uh, these championship odds. We've referenced it before that the uh, that the Lakers are now the favorites to win the, uh, the 2020 NBA championship. Uh, some people, some Spurs fans have gotten mad that as these odds were listed out, that the Dallas Mavericks had better odds than the <laughs> Spurs to win the uh, 2020 NBA championship. This is not make the playoffs odds. This is not number of wins odds. This is NBA champion odds. I'm I, I'm not mad about this. Here's why: we've seen pretty much what the Spurs ceiling is. It's we're, it's pretty close. Assuming that they bring pretty much everybody back. The Spurs team in 2020 was very is going to be very similar to what it was in 2019. You add DeJounte Murray, you add maybe one of these picks. The Spurs notoriously don't use rookies that much. Hopefully Lonnie Walker can get into the rotation, but Rudy Gay, if he comes back as a year older, DeMar and LaMarcus will have some more experience playing together, but they're also a year older. We've sort of seen who these Spurs are. The Mavericks, although you think of them recently, have been terrible. They haven't been competitive at all. They have this guy named Chris Stapps Porzingis, who didn't play at all last year, uh, but he has the ability to come in... Uh, Luka Doncic, who just is probably going to be Rookie of the Year, that duo, we have no idea where their ceiling is and who else they can add around that. The, the, the ceiling is so much higher for them. That's When you're talking about these teams that are pretty heavy underdogs to compete for an NBA championship, that's what you're talking about. The, the ceiling for the Mavericks is higher than what the Spurs' ceiling is if everything breaks right. Their floor is a lot lower if things go wrong. Porzingis gets hurt again. Doncic has a little bit of a sophomore slump. The Mavs will still be worse than the Spurs were this past year, but their ceiling, if everything goes right, is higher. I think you're exactly right. And I think Kristaps, if he comes back and is healthy, and there's a lot of question marks to whether he can even do that, I think really could push them into a Western contender. And we've seen Cinderella stories in the playoffs where teams click and guys like Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis can make the difference. Uh, the Spurs, on the other hand, yeah, like you said, aren't uh, kind of in that mode. We've seen their ceiling and these are the guys they have. What drives me batty, Cameron, is the fact that we still have to refer to Luka Doncic as the probable winner of the Rookie of the Year. The fact that we don't even know who's winning the MVP of the past season, the Rookie of the Year. All of these player awards are going to be as we are well into the swing of ramping up for the next season. And I think that's something the NBA really needs to change. And the thing is, it was an unforced error by the NBA. It used to be that they would hand them out during the during the playoffs, but you have one or two times where the MVP gets eliminated from the playoffs and it's, a, it's sort of an awkward uh, presentation of that trophy. Who cares? You know, people are still thinking about the regular season as the playoffs are getting started, no one's thinking about the regular season anymore. No, if it's, a, if it's a regular season award, awarded at the end of that regular season, and not after the NBA draft, which of course is this Thursday, and we'll be there live on Facebook, on YouTube, covering all of the details. The Pelicans, as we mentioned, are going to be big players. The Spurs, with their two first-round picks, could really make some moves. And if anything happens, we'll be there to cover it live on Facebook and on YouTube. And it will be a podcast the very next day, available wherever you may be listening to this podcast as well. So, Cameron, that's our emergency podcast. We broke down just about everything that's happened in the five days of the (laughs) offseason. There's only uh, several more weeks to go, and uh, I'm excited for it. Me too. It's always fun. The offseason may be more fun than the regular season, but everything's fun on the Big Fun Pod. So, Cameron, thank you so much for joining me. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you, guys. 